Good morning once again. Welcome to Red Sea. My name is Billy. I am the worship pastor. You've probably only seen me up there with a guitar in my hands. Um, and I know it's always a little scary when the guitar guy, you realize the guitar guy is preaching. Um, I can assure you I've done this before, so it should be okay. All right. Um, happy Independence Day to you. Everybody got their firecrackers? You ready to go? Ready to party today? All right. Sounds good. Um, well, we're going to talk about something near and dear to my heart a little bit this morning, the subject of worship. And uh, I want to start by just explaining a little bit what is the concept of worship. It's a word that is thrown around a lot. What actually is it? Um, it's actually not just a biblical word. It is, it is something that all of us do. In fact, it's not something you just decide to turn on and turn off. We are all worshipers. And I would go so far as to say that everyone is worshiping all the time. Into this world, worshiping. Um, People worship things like money, sex, um, all of these things. Our dysfunctions flow out of those things. We offer ourselves to these. Depression, codependency, all of these things are out of, we're looking for a functional savior in our life. Something to worship, something to save us. We offer our time to it. We offer our energies and our passions. Um, When we come to biblical worship, we're looking at worship that's directed toward God. We take those energies and those times and those passions, and we focus them toward, um, toward God. So when we sin, when we rebel against God, we rebel against our Creator, we don't stop worshiping. We're just focusing our worship in a different direction, in what we believe is the wrong direction. When we turn those energies and, and spend that time focused on God, and we sacrifice toward Him. We're worshiping God. In the Bible, there's two words that are always translated worship. They're two key words. One of the words has the sense of to bow down. It's a sense of just reverence. You're bowing down before God. You're in reverence before Him. Um, there's another word that's translated worship that is, talks more about your life, about serving, about sacrificing. This is where when we come on Sunday mornings, the first term is usually put into practice where we're bowing down, we're lifting God high, we're recognizing who He is. We're taking a moment to stop, to gather together, and to honor God and to offer our hearts to Him. When we leave this place on Sunday, we get back into the world, into the rest of the week, we're offering another term for worship, which is a sacrifice of our life. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our energy? Where are our passions? Um, I have... A good story of my son that I think helps illustrate this. Um, this was a while back. And uh, my son, Josiah, he's 10 years old. There's, there's something in this world that he loves more than anything. Oh, he's actually here. Hey, buddy. Sorry I'm talking about you. I know he loves that. Um, and it is money. He loves money. Can you blame him? Anybody struggle with that? Money, money is a good thing. He struggles with that. He loves it. One thing he doesn't like, he does not like, is pain. So he loves money, hates pain. Okay. He lost a tooth a while back, and uh, this tooth was wiggling. Just You know how it's just, your tooth is barely coming out, and it's like, ah, should I pull it out? But, but it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Should I just leave it in there and wait for it to fall out? So he was, he was going through this, struggling with it, and he comes to me and says, Daddy, you know my tooth? It's almost out if I could just pull it out, but, but I don't want to pull it out because it hurts so much. It's going to hurt, you know? So he's just wrestling with this. And so I said, man, I understand, buddy, and uh, I don't blame you. Leave it in there, but I will tell you this. If you pull it out tonight and we put it under your pillow, there will be cash from the tooth fairy under your pillow. <laughs> just throwing that out there, right? So I leave. About five minutes later, he comes running in, blood all over his face, holding his tooth. I got it out, Daddy! All right. Um... That's, that's an example of worship. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to endure pain for this one thing. Okay? That is what worship is. For some of, some of us, that is money in this world. We work. We work overtime to get money, to buy things that we think will make us happy. That's worship to us. Um, I want to look at what does it look like to be a true and passionate worshiper of God in the Bible. I think the best way to sum up worship is 
Jesus said it best as he quoted from the Torah, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and all your strength. To love God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. I think it sounds too simple, but I don't think it is. When we understand what love is, as God has explained it in his word, as Jesus explained it, worship is to love. It's to love God and to love the people around us. A good way to find out what it is that you worship, the things that you worship, is to ask these questions. And so I want to take just a minute as we open today. I want you to just close your eyes because it helps us to focus. Close your eyes. I'm going to read a few questions to you. And I want you to just honestly, there'll be a pause between each question. Just think about what is the honest answer. Just be honest with yourself. So would you close your eyes with me? What do I enjoy the most? What do I spend the most time doing? Where does my mind drift to when I don't have anything to do? What am I passionate about? What do I spend my money on? What makes me angry when I don't get it? What do I feel depressed without? What do I fear losing the most? Okay. If your answer to all of those questions was Jesus, um, you're either the Apostle Paul or you're not human. So come talk to me after the service. I'd love to meet you. Um, I'm sure if, if all of us are honest with ourselves in this room, some of the answers to those questions were enlightening, even maybe a little depressing. Wow, I haven't thought about it that way. Those questions are just great questions because the answers to those questions, they lead us to the things that we love. These are the things that we worship. This is where we spend our time. This is where our heart is, where our path are. Um, we're going to look at a story today in the book of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, um, if you could open up, that up with me, that'd be great. To the book of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, where we're going to begin. We're going to look at the story of a woman uh, in <clears throat> a woman's encounter with Jesus this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It continues to just confound me, to baffle me as I read it, and just to blow me away. Um, this woman engages in a beautiful act, a beautiful moment of worship at the feet of Jesus. And I think that we can learn a few things from her. People, this woman is a sinful woman, or as one translation puts it, an immoral Woman, I think that she has much for us today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to God's Word. Father, uh, I thank you that we can gather today freely. Uh, God, what an appropriate time to think about that uh, today, the 4th of July, Independence Day. God, we live in a free country. We can gather together. No one is stopping us. Lord, we can, we can worship freely. We can proclaim your truth, and we can live it out, God, without any political resistance. So Lord, we praise you for that. Um, and God, we thank you for your word to us that we have it uh, in the translation of our choice. We can read it whenever we want. Lord, today we come humbly. Pray that uh, we would not just read your word, but allow your word to read us. We believe these are the very words of the God that created the universe by the word of his mouth. Lord, we believe that this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just come and um, open our eyes. Lord, move me out of the way. I pray that you would speak today. You know each and every heart in this room, where they're at, what they need. God, may you meet us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together as we read this passage. Luke seven thirty six. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. 
And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she realized that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks. You can be seated. Okay. Passage open saying, one of the Pharisees to his house. He went to the Pharisee's house, took his place at the table. We know that the Pharisees were the religious teachers of the day. Pharisee, when we hear that word, it usually is like a bad word. That's a bad name. Pharisees are evil. They're not, they weren't all evil necessarily. The Pharisees, had, their, their name basically comes from a word that means to separate. They, they, their goal was to separate themselves from the evil in the world and to become righteous and to live according to God's word the best that they could. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can go wrong. And for many of them it did. It became just something um, where they worked their way toward God and to earn his approval. And as Jesus told us, none of us can do that. None of us are good enough. We need Jesus to save us. So he comes to this Pharisee's house, sits down at the table. It would have looked in those days, many well-to-do people would have had houses. And it was basically the house was like a hollow square. So the house is like this. And inside there's a courtyard. So the house was built around the courtyard. In the courtyard, um, many of them had like a garden, maybe like a, a little fountain or something. And people would gather outside in the warm weather to eat. And many times, Jesus was a public figure at this time. And so he was, a, he was a rabbi, traveling rabbi, um, even relatively famous at this point. People had heard of him, knew about him. Um, he was respected. So if a, if a rabbi was at a house, a local house, maybe after Sabbath or whatever, the house was left open. The outer areas of the courtyard were open for anyone to come in and to listen as these rabbis would talk, as this rabbi would share the wisdom um, from God that he had. So they would come in and listen, and also poor people, could come and they could have the leftovers from the meal. So this was like there was an open door. Some were invited. They were at the table. There was this open door where anyone could come in if they wanted to. Um, and the way they would eat, as many of you know, it's not like we would eat today with a table up high and pull up a chair to it. It was a very low table um, in the shape of a horseshoe with a host at the head of the table. Very low to the ground. They had couches, but not like our couches today. Very low cushions to the ground. They would lean toward the table on their left laying down with their right arm free to eat, and their feet and their body and legs would be spread out away from the table. So just try to picture that. They're sitting at the table that way with their feet out at the end of the table. This is the picture that, that Luke introduces to us in this book, in this passage, in this story. So Jesus is gathered around this traveling rabbi. Many people are coming in. We're invited. Others are gathered around the side of the table. It says in verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. A sinner. Luke adds that in. She was, some, for some reason, that separated her from everyone else. This woman, what's unique about her is she was a sinner. Some of you right now are like, oh no, <laughs> is that a bad thing? Yes, it is. We're all sinners, but... For some reason, this woman had a reputation as a sinner, as an immoral woman. What was she? I don't know. 
She could have been a prostitute, most likely. Whatever it was, she had a reputation. When she walked in the room, everyone knew, oh, that's the sinner. That's the the prostitute. This is the woman who uh, is outside of God's will, who's outside of the people of God. She was an outcast. And it's, it's even worse to think how she may have ended up there. Um, a lot of injustice happened in those times. Men could divorce their wife for any reason. If the toast was burned, you could divorce your wife. For you not to be a woman at that time was not a good thing. You didn't have anyone to take care of you. Women were very low on the totem pole in society. Um, almost not even considered human. So whatever happened to her, maybe injustice happened to her, whatever it was, here she finds herself. I can imagine her maybe going out hearing about this Jesus, this traveling rabbi, hearing his teaching and listen to his teaching as he talks about how he came to save sinners and how even sinners can be forgiven and have a place in the people of God. She may have been listening to this teaching and thought, if I could just get an opportunity to meet this and to talk to him, maybe to tell him how much he's impacted my life, maybe... Maybe he had changed her life. Maybe just to say thank you to him. Something, if I could just interact with him. And she hears about this meal and she says, ah, this is my opportunity. I can go. I can sit on the outskirts of this meal and I have a chance to to hear Jesus and maybe even interact with him. So she comes in. She's wearing an alabaster flask of ointment. This is very common in women in in those times. The little alabaster is a little hollow stone. They would oftentimes wear it around their neck filled with perfume and ointment, usually extremely expensive. So she comes in to the house, verse 38. And standing behind him, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and her head, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. There is so much going on here. Okay. First of all, it's, it's improper in those times for a woman to even interact with a man in public. So, She's coming in, interacting with a man, not just a man, but an esteemed rabbi. So that's bad enough in itself. Um, She's a sinner. So she really shouldn't even be interacting with this rabbi, according to the cultural norm. That's horrible. She has her hair down. Um, When a woman was married in those times, she put her hair up and never to let it down again in public. That was pretty much the norm. Um, You've heard the expression, let your hair down. That wasn't a good thing back then, okay? Hard for us to understand, but it just wasn't. Not a good thing. She's got her hair down. Beside the fact that she completely interrupted this nice meal that they were having, this nice conversation, and just starts weeping uncontrollably. She's crying all over this rabbi's feet. She starts, like, wiping it with her hair. I mean, can you imagine the awkwardness of this? Talk about an awkward moment. Everything she's doing is culturally not acceptable. Just imagine right now as I'm talking and we're sitting here and uh, someone just bursts open the doors and says, I love Jesus so much. I'm glad I finally found a church. And they come running up the aisle and just throw themselves on the ground here, just crying uncontrollably and just start singing to God. Would you guys just not notice that? That would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? It'd be like, okay, now I have to decide what do I do now, okay? Even if she was doing it from her heart and it was genuine and authentic. You know, we, we have these, these things that we do in society. Like, I love this part of church because it's like you have to sit in a chair for a half hour and listen to whatever I want to talk about. Isn't that great for me? Um, that's just the way it is. You know, like we're in church right now. You don't say anything. You know, if you, if you need to get up and go, you do it discreetly. You don't just stand up and start shouting, right? We need to—there's there's a cultural norm here that we need to stick by, it, you know. Um— That's what was going on here. This was very, very awkward for everyone, believe me, at the table. So she's doing all of this. Here's what gets me the most about this part of the story. That she's she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears. So first of all, just think, how many tears do you have to whip up to wash feet? Have I ever cried that much in my life where I could actually have enough tears to do the job? Right there. I mean, are you with me on that? She has it. The tears are just flowing down, but they're flowing down because of Jesus. She sees Jesus, and the tears come flowing. Here's the question I want to ask you today as we're moving through this passage. When is the last time Jesus made you cry? 
Just be honest with yourself. With yourself. When's the last time Jesus made you cry? When you, you thought about Jesus, maybe you were spending time in prayer with him, maybe just hearing about him at church, someone talk about him, and you, you literally started crying. When's the last time Jesus moved you that much? I, I'm sad to say, I can't remember the last time. Now, am I saying that we should all be blubbering babies all the time? Whenever Jesus' name is mentioned, we should just start crying? No, not necessarily. But don't you think that that kind of passion is important? Don't you think if Jesus really is who he says he is, and he saved us, and given us life, and he is the living God, that it should move us? Especially when we come into worship. It's like we're gathered for the one purpose of communing with Jesus today. That's, that's the whole reason we're here is because of him. And just to leave completely unmoved within. Shouldn't it be that way? Shouldn't we at least strive for that? Anybody, raise your hand if you want that. Like, I'd like to have that consistently in my life. And yet I fear that it just really isn't. So the question today, I want to unpack why, why did that happen for this woman? And is there anything we can learn from this story that might help us to understand why that isn't happening for us and how that possibly could happen more for us? Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who it was and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Okay. Here's the first problem, I think, for us, is that we're not awful enough. Here's what I mean by that. The word awful in the sense of to be in awe, to be in reverence. We're not awful enough. We're not in awe of God enough. Check this out. This Pharisee, Simon, has Jesus over for dinner. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the Son of God, the Son of the living God is at his house, incarnate, eating dinner at his table. And all that he can say is, this guy were a prophet, he'd know this sinner, who this is. This woman's a sinner. That's all that he can say in God's presence. I think that that's a problem for us. We look at this and go, because we, we know all about Jesus and who he is. And you know what? We probably would do that because we do it every week at church, a lot of us. I do it too. We come, we believe Jesus is here. We're two or three are gathered together. We got way more than that now. Jesus said, I am there with you. Jesus is in this room. A lot of us know that. We believe it. And yet we just sit and we're thinking, I don't like what that guy's saying. Or this isn't a very good sermon. I apologize if it isn't. Uh, I don't like the style of music right now, so I'm just not going to worship. Or I can't believe what he's wearing I can't believe what he said, or, oh, I know that person, what that person did during the week. How you know, what's, all these things are going on in our mind. I don't like the type of bread we're using for communion. I don't know what it is. Uh, I can't wait till lunch. I wonder where we're going to go. Whatever it is. Our mind's everywhere, but dwelling on the fact that the living God is in this room with us, desiring our worship, waiting to meet with us and to heal us. Um, my kids went to horse camp this week, and it was just so amazing to hear them coming back. I didn't expect my kids to be here today, so I'm talking about them a lot. Sorry, guys. Uh, just to hear them talking about how, you know, whenever you go away to camp, it's like this amazing experience. Um, just talking about how they were studying Colossians together and learning about what it means to trust God and how they just want to, to know God more. I mean, my kids are 8 and 10. Just hearing them say this, uh, 9 and 10 now. Sorry, Abby. Hearing them say this, just like, oh, man, they're just so excited about God. You can see the light in their eyes. Well, last night, uh, my daughter says, Daddy, I want to read Colossians. You want to read Colossians? And I'm like, sure. Just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Can someone pinch me right now? I would love to read Colossians with you. Um, So we we bust out Colossians, and uh, she starts reading it to me. And she gets to this part. It just hit me as I'm kind of thinking about this passage last night. Here's what it says. She says, I, I, I really like this part. I'm going to read this part now that's called the supremacy of Christ. That's what it says on top. I, talk about being proud. Just hearing those words come out of my daughter's mouth, the supremacy of Christ. I'm like, yes. Here's what it says. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is the guy that was at Simon's house for dinner. You believe that? The image of the invisible God, the one who holds all things together, was sitting at Simon's table for dinner. And all Simon can say is, if this guy were really a prophet, oh, who it was that was touching him, this sinner. That's all that he's got to say. I think that happens to us, you guys. Maybe not that extreme, but for us as followers of Christ. So we walk in here on Sundays... And we're just like, oh, I'm here to worship God, and I'm thinking about a million different things. I'm somewhat engaging, but not really. Do we come hungry? Do we come ready to worship? Do we come reminding ourselves? A lot of worship is reminding yourself, reminding yourselves of the truth of God. Do we come saying, I'm in the presence of God today. I really believe God is here. I believe that Jesus is here, and that I have an opportunity to connect with him in a deep way. You can do that anywhere. That's the beauty of it. You can do it at at home, at work, wherever you are. But we gather specifically together as a body. It's a beautiful thing. We gather together to do that. And we walk in and take it nonchalantly. We go up and take communion, and sometimes it's just a snack. I mean, how horrible is that? This is representing the broken body of our Lord, that he was nailed to a tree experienced a brutal death and died in our place so that we could be set free and have life. This juice and this wine represent his blood. And we come and we take that lightly and we're like, thanks for what you did, Jesus. Appreciate it. I'll catch you next week. I mean, think about in light of who he is. Are we, are we not awful enough? I think, I think that we're not. We've gotten very comfortable in church. Look around the the world, look around the city, look around your community. We have become very comfortable on this earth. God is the creator of the earth. He owns everything. He holds all things together. We breathe because of him. Our heart beats because of him. He causes the sun to rise and give us life every day. Jesus said to the evil and the good. He causes it to rise on both. Um, There's this amazing story in Acts where Paul goes into this pagan people who had never heard of God. And he says, all the fruit that has grown in your fields and filled your stomachs and brought you joy. He literally says, God did that for you. Even though you did not know him or acknowledge him at all, even though you're pagans, he's still keeping you fed and satisfied and still bringing joy to your hearts. You just haven't realized it yet. We just walk around and we're comfortable. The reason is because we don't know who God is. This woman knew who Jesus was. Because she knew who he was, it caused this reaction in her. That was part of it. This Pharisee didn't know who he was. We don't know who he was. Um, when I was a kid, I remember, I think I was four years old, and I actually lived in Portland, which is funny. Um, I lived here as a kid. And uh, there was these, these kids outside. I'd go outside and play, and there was this group of a few kids that were total bullies. And they would just bully me, send me home crying every time. To me, I was afraid of them. I was in fear of them. They were powerful. And I'd come home crying and crying. Well, my dad, he's um, Irish and kind of a fighter and uh, has kind of a temper. And he's really mean when he gets upset. It's like all he has to do is look at you and you're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Well, he, heard, he caught wind of this. And he was, let's just say mad, Okay. He's like, that's it, let's go, let's go find these kids. I'm like, okay, <laughs> walking with him. And uh, these kids, man, they thought they were the bomb. They owned this apartment complex, and they owned you. Okay, you work for them. They, among their peers, when they're out, there's no adults around, man, they own that complex. They own those grounds. They own the playground. They own you. They are hot stuff. They are big. They are strong. And they are. And I would have said, yes, they are. You're right. They are powerful. They are strong. My dad comes outside. They see him coming, walks up to them, and starts yelling at them. They were no longer strong. (laughs) They were no longer powerful in that moment. 
They were nothing. They were cowering little babies who started crying and ran home. I'll never forget it. It was like the awesomest thing ever, dude. I was just like, yeah! <laughs> um, they were strong and powerful as long as no one like that's around. And we're like that in the world. We start thinking, you know what? I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty in control. I got things going. I, I'm controlling my life. I'm stronger than this guy. I'm smart. When God walks in the room, you're no longer smart. You're no longer strong. You are so fragile that you cannot even breathe unless he gives you permission. Your heart does not beat unless he gives you permission. He could destroy this world in a second and everyone in it. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how comfortable you've become, when God shows up, you're no longer strong. You're no longer wise. You're no longer smart. But we forget that. And we do it as, it's no wonder to think that the world, when they don't believe in God, that they do. But we as believers know better. And we walk into church and we think, I am strong. I'm not that bad of a sinner. I'm in control. I'm better than that guy, than that guy, than that guy. Maybe not that guy. I'm doing all right. But the fact is, the living God is in this room. None of us are strong. None of us are powerful. None of us are in control. We're not in awe of God enough. We got to remind ourselves of who he is. I love the story of Job. Job starts arguing with God. God just straight up says, all right, you want to fight? Let's fight. Where were you when I created the world? You see the lightning that lights up the sky? Do you know where it comes from? Can you trace that light back to its place of origin? Where were you when I created all the stars and the angels were singing together? At the end of that, he goes off for like two chapters. Job just says this, I spoke once, I will not speak again. I put my hand over my mouth. Because God showed up and he was there. And Job's like, okay, my life's bad. And Job's life was bad. He had it bad. But he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm just lucky to be breathing right now. We got to get to that place. That's one reason. Um, Let's continue on to the next verse. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, one owed the other 50. Um, scholars have calculated that denarii is probably about two months' salary, whereas, or two months' wages today, whereas 500 years' wages. So one person is in debt, literally like, like almost two years' worth of wages. The other, only two months. So you're talking hundreds of dollars compared to thousands of dollars. They're both in debt. Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose. I think there was some reluctancy in realizing like Jesus had him. For whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Then he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. It was traditional in those times when you have a guest over, there were like three things that you do. Um, you would wash their feet because all you had was just a, like a, a sole of a sandal with some straps and it, all dirt roads. Your feet were nasty by the time you got some of those for dinner. Your head with some oil and they would give you a kiss on the cheek. None of those things were required, but it was customary. This Pharisee did none of that for him. This woman did all of it in a way is what he's saying. But he says this, this line in verse 47. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's like a mathematical equation. If you have a a small debt and someone forgives you, you're like, thanks, appreciate it. If you owe this huge debt where you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this person you owe it to is like, you know what? It's done. Forget about it. Move on with your life. How much more thankful is the latter going to be? Simple mathematics. They're going to be way more grateful than the other person. 
because they've been give, forgiven a greater debt. Here's what he's saying. This woman's sins are many, and she knows it. She's been forgiven much. You, Simon, your sins aren't that many, so you think. So you're forgiven little. Think about this for a second. If that's true, and we walk in this room and we go, I'm not, I don't love like that woman does. I don't worship like that woman does. Maybe we've been forgiven a little. So, here's what I, here's what I ask you. Are we sinful enough? Maybe we're not sinful enough. I know I have some explaining to do. Um, before you label me a heretic, let me explain. Do you think the woman or the Pharisee was a greater sinner? What would your answer be to that? Okay. Yeah. Equal, or maybe the Pharisee was a worse sinner. It's just a different kind of sin. The Pharisee's sin is pride. Not acknowledging his sin. It doesn't mean that the woman's a worse sinner than him or more of a sinner. Here's the difference between the two of them. The woman knew she was a sinner and she acknowledged it. She walks into the room with Jesus. You are holy. I don't deserve to be here. She didn't come in saying, uh, my daddy wasn't there or my husband divorced me unjustly. Or she didn't. Now maybe that stuff happened and that stuff's real and it contributes. <clears throat> but you don't hear her saying that. She walks in the room, she's just like, I don't deserve to be here. I'm a sinner. And she starts weeping about it. And I think weeping about the fact that she is coming to the realization that Jesus is offering a forgiveness and telling her God loves you and is extending forgiveness to you. And it's powerful for her because she knows her sin. The Pharisee, the problem with him, the problem with Simon, he doesn't think he's a sinner. Oh, he's sinned it up. He's doing it right now. In this passage. But he doesn't think that he is. What he's going through his mind is, look how sinful she is. How can he let her touch him? I think another contributing factor to our lack of worship and our lack of love and our lack of passion is that we're not sinful enough. Because we're all sinners in this room, but we handle the sin in different ways. A lot of us will just ignore it. Like, pretend like that didn't happen. Just think happy thoughts. Butterflies, fields of flowers. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm sure God didn't see that, okay? Uh, hopefully he didn't. Some of us make excuses for it. You know, we just make excuses. I'm not going to confess it and say, okay, I blew it. No, well, I blew it because of this or this made me do it. Um, some of us rationalize our sin. Like, well, it doesn't say specifically in the Bible, Billy, you should not do this thing in this place at this time. So it's not really a sin. <laughs> we're rationalizing, even though we know darn well what we're doing is a sin. We know darn well. It's very clear in the Bible. We feel it in our conscience because we have the Holy Spirit convicting us. And yet we rationalize our way out of it. So I think the other way is we just don't think about it that much. We're just like, I, I, it's not, it doesn't carry weight with us. Yeah, I sinned this week. If you ask me, to be honest, yeah, I did. I could probably tell you what, what those sins are. But it just doesn't weigh heavy on me. I'm not walking into church going, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be in this room. I shouldn't be up here preaching right now. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to commune with God. I don't deserve to take communion right now. I, I, I can't take communion right now because things aren't right with me in Jesus. And I need to do some, some work of communing with him and getting right with him first like asking for forgiveness, like confessing my sin, which we need to always do. We don't do that. So that's why we walk in this room, like everything's okay, and we're not really that blown away by God. He doesn't cause any type of, anything close to weeping. We're not moved at all, because we're not awful enough of him, and we're not sinful enough. Um, I want to do some, uh, I know, not a lot of time, but a little illustration I think kind of helps bring it home. Um, you guys know the song, How Great Is Our God? Okay, let's sing it together, okay? See, I can't preach without leading some worship too, sorry. How great is our God? Let's sing this together. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? 
And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing that one more time. How great is our God? And how great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. I feel good? Yeah, me too. You know, I need a volunteer from the audience. Anyone, anyone. I know it's early. Come on up. Okay, it's really easy. You won't be humiliated in any way. Okay, here's what I need you to do. What's your name? Was it? Camry? Cameron. Cameron. Nice to meet you. I'm Billy. Um, thanks for being brave, by the way. Appreciate it. Okay, these knobs right here, these are what tune the guitar. So I want you to just take each one of these and just turn them different ways. Just mess it up as much as you can. There you go. Yeah, if they break, you jinxed us. It's okay, it's okay. Keep going. Just a little bit on each one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Tune them up good. A little more, a little more on the bottom. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Everyone give her a hand. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's sing that again. How great is our God. Okay. How great. Come on, sing with me. Our God. Sing with me. How great. Lift it up. Our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Did that feel good? No. That was just wrong, wasn't it? Yeah. Here's what I think this illustrates. We walk in to church on Sunday mornings. The music starts, and we're like, feeling good today. And we're like, how great is our God. Yes, God, I'm feeling you. And I think we really are, authentically. We're like, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the music, thinking about God, and I'm worshiping. And it all feels great, but I wonder sometimes if that's how it sounds to God when we're singing. I know this isn't popular stuff. I know sin isn't a popular concept today in the world or the church. And I think many would say it's not healthy to think about it. We need to, and it does say, turn your thoughts toward good things, Philippians. But I think it's unhealthy to not be conscious of our sin, not remind ourselves of it, to not be honest before ourselves and before God as worshipers of God. I think when we come in and we've been doing stuff all week long, we not, may not be thinking about it, but we need to be. We need to be reminding ourselves, saying, you know what, I don't even care if you can't remember any sins this last week. You're like, honestly, like, I don't even remember. I think I did all right. You didn't. You didn't do all right. I guarantee you there's sins of omission, things you should have done that you didn't do. That's a sin. Here's the biggest sin, and some have said the greatest sin in the universe is to think that you have no sin. So if you come in here on Sunday and say, I didn't sin last week, you just committed a huge sin, maybe the biggest of all. So to come in and just to say, God, I... You are holy and perfect and righteous, and I don't even deserve to be breathing, let alone be here in this place today. I don't deserve to be here. It's all because of your grace. Grace is the key word, the favor of God, the work of God in our lives, that he has saved us, that he has washed us clean by nothing that we have done. We contribute nothing to the cross. We're going to spend some time in communion in a few moments. We contribute nothing to the cross. God did that himself. He took our sins upon himself and saved us. I love the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God, and that's it. I contribute nothing to it. It's healthy to have that mindset, to come in and in awe of God and remind ourselves who he is and reminding ourselves who we are. This Pharisee didn't know either. This woman knew both. She knew who Jesus was, and she knew who she was. And when that chemistry came together at that moment, she started weeping. She couldn't help it. She couldn't help it. 
One more thing. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. We need to be loving people around us that God's created in his image. Not only our brothers and sisters at Red Sea, people in this community. And I raise my hand, I confess, I love way too little. I'm just, I'm too little of a lover (laughs) of God's people and of the people around me. Anyone resonate with that? Why is that? I literally ask myself, why do I have such a hard time loving people? Why does sometimes I just say, I don't even care about the people in the community. I just want to live my stinking life, God. <laughs> Come on. I don't want to do that. I don't want to reach out to that person. Maybe there's, there's a tie here as well. Because I'm not in touch with my sin and the greatness of who God is, I don't care about the people he's placed around me. I think this woman would love other sinners that other people wouldn't touch wouldn't have come into contact with because she knows who she is and she knows what God has done for her. She's experienced that love and she wants the people around her to experience that. You guys with me? It makes sense. So this all goes hand in hand. We start thinking when we don't love someone, another human being around us, what we're saying is I'm better than them. Like I'm not as bad of a sinner as them or I'm more worthy of God's attention than they are or when I love this person but not this person, this person's more worthy of my attention and my love and my energy than this person is. You know what's wrong with that? God loves both of these people equally. They're both a sinner. He has offered his grace and his mercy. He died on the cross and bled for both of these people. And he desires both of them to come to know him and to be in relationship with him. And we're like, ah, we make distinctions. We're putting ourselves in front of Jesus saying, I got this. Jesus makes no distinctions. At the foot of the cross... We're all equal. Everyone is a sinner. No one deserves to be there. We're there because of the grace of God and because of his provision of Jesus on the cross. I'll tell you something. I wasn't even going to share this because it's kind of embarrassing. But I'm just going to confess this to you from this week. It's just funny how God does this. I'm studying this passage. And, you know, if I'm honest with myself and I'm reading the commentaries, this woman was an outcast. Because I look and go, I wouldn't have been like that to this woman. What's up with this Pharisee, this rotten guy? Sheesh. But she was an outcast. So to be associated with her, you're putting yourself to be an outcast with her. You're identifying with her. Would I have given her as much of attention as maybe another guy at the table or another Pharisee or another rabbi or whoever it was? Would I have paid any attention? Would I have been upset when she came in? I think, no, I wouldn't have. Well, I'm walking down the street the other day, beautiful St. John's, and I'm just walking down the street, and I see this person coming toward me, and immediately I judge the person, and I stereotype them, and I said, this person is one of those people on the street that, you know, I just want to avoid them. I just don't feel like talking to them right now. Uh, they're probably a nut job or whatever. I don't know. But you know what? I just, I, I just want to get back to my office and prepare for my sermon <laughs> Sunday. So, you know, it's just like I didn't think it through a lot. It was just kind of this natural thing where I'm just like, I'm just going to keep walking. I'm not going to look over at them. Whereas maybe if there was another person who I didn't feel that way about, I might just turn and say hi as I'm walking by or look at them or smile. I'm just like, I'm not even going to make eye contact. I'm just, just walking through because I don't know what they're going to do. They might ask me for money. I don't know what it is. Okay? So I'm doing this and I'm walking. And as we're passing, I hear this, hi. And I'm like, kind of took me off guard. Hi. And then she just keeps walking. And I, I'm walking. I'm going, that was odd. You know? I started thinking about it. And it just, God just like drove this through my heart. It was just like, Billy, who do you think you are to think that you're better than her? I love her. I created her in my image. Why is she not worth getting to know? Why is she not worth saying hi to? I mean, it was like humbling, man. I remember sharing it with my wife and just almost crying. It was just, it was the weirdest thing ever. Because she looked like she wasn't going to say anything to me either. She was just kind of looking off and just like, hi. Like, hello, do you see me? I'm a human being. Nice to meet you. I mean, how I felt so rotten, you guys. But that's why I didn't want to share it because you guys are just like, that scoundrel. He better, he better wrap it up right now. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's how I felt. But that's good because God reminded me, Billy, you're no better than anyone else. You're a sinner that is saved by my grace. And you better love whoever I place in your life and you better show them the love of my son, Jesus Christ. This woman has something that I think we need. And whatever measure it is, I don't know where all of you are. Everybody's in a different place. 
We need it. We need to be of God. We need to be more in touch with our sin and feel the weight of our sin. Sin in our life is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Can you imagine? We will actually indulge in our sin and love it for a moment. When we're doing that, we're loving the thing that nailed our Savior to the cross. Or we'll look for fulfillment in other ways, as if Christ hanging on that cross isn't enough to save me. It's not enough to deal with my depression. It's not enough to deal with my issues. So I'm going to deal with it myself by ignoring it or covering it up or finding a way to medicate myself, whatever that is. We're trying to find a Savior apart from Christ. We need to stop. We need to start there and allow Jesus to meet us and to transform us and to make us cry again and to look at the people he's placed around us differently than we have this last week or yesterday or even this morning. Amen? Amen. Um, We're going to worship, spend a little time in communion. Um, I love that we end every service doing worship, uh, doing communion. This is what it's all about right here. I just want to challenge you. This bread represents the body of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who created everything, the one who deserves every need to bow down to him. He came down from heaven bled and died on a cross in your place where you deserve to be or where I deserve to be because he loves us and he wants to set us free. He is able to save today. He will save you today if you come to him humbly and cry out to him and say, I need you, Jesus. People who aren't sinners don't need a savior. Sinners need saviors. Jesus came to save sinners. So I just encourage you to come um, during the worship. The bread is here the juice, and um, spend some time in self-reflection and just ask God to search our hearts. Let's search our own hearts. Before we come and just take this nonchalantly, let's remember why we do this. Take it seriously. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.